I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. a different tomorrow with Norwegian Cruise Line. Book today and get 50% off your cruise to Alaska, Europe, and beyond. Plus, everyone can enjoy their vacation with free unlimited open bar, free specialty dining, and more. Visit ncl.com, call your travel advisor, or 1-888-NCL-CRUISE. Offer ends soon. Norwegian Cruise Line. Ships registry the Bahamas and USA. Restrictions apply. The rest of my life gonna start today. So I am looking at the Sun Basket uh, recipe book right now. The thing about Sun Basket, one of the many things that separates it from other meal kits is that you don't just get the recipes that you prepared that week. You get every recipe, even if you don't get the kit for it. And the only bad thing about that is that you can get, you know, I guess fear of missing food out, fear of missing food. Um, and, I look at this list and I think, gosh, you know, maybe next week I'll do all vegetarian because some of the vegetarian options look great. White bean meatballs and rigatoni, whole grain pitas with maple glazed carrots, black bean and summer squash tostadas, tofu burgers with oven fries and sambal mayo. Like those all sound great. We got good stuff too. Gung pow chicken, uh, steak and lionized potatoes. uh, And then also really delicious Mediterranean turkey kebabs with carrot and squash ribbons. As you can tell, there's kind of something for everyone. There are vegetarian options. There are vegan options. There are lean and clean options. There are Mediterranean options. There are family options. Sunbasket gives you all those options and they work with the best farms and suppliers to bring you the freshest and most responsibly raised meats and seafoods available. Everything is pre-measured and easy to prep. There's actually almost no prep involved. You get a healthy and delicious meal on the table in about 30 minutes. There is really something for every healthy journey and every busy lifestyle. So go to sunbasket.com slash friends today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That is sunbasket.com slash friends for $35 off sunbasket.com slash friends. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. You may have heard this week Starbucks closed down for a day to end racism in America. Well, they closed down for half a day, and they really only aimed at ending racism in their stores. Okay, they really only focused on ending racism against Black people in their stores. Oh, okay. Actually, they had employees participate in implicit bias training. This was in response to the incident in Philadelphia where two black men were arrested for the crime of waiting for a colleague. Well, on the show today, we have W. Kamau Bell, comedian and host of United Shades of America on CNN, the Emmy Award winning United Shades of America. He's written and reflected on his experience of being hassled in public spaces because of the color of his skin and has some opinions on Starbucks stunt slash start. He opens up about the realities and anxieties of existing while black and what it feels like to be policed even when all you want is a vente caramel frap on a hot day. 
And then stay tuned for Crooked Media cousin John Lovett helping me field a listener question about Lovett's well-documented anti-boomer bias. That segment is itself a kind of implicit bias training and probably did about as much good because he's recorded some shows since then and uh, (laughs) pretty sure he's still not too fond of the boomers. Uh, So great show today. Stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Kamau. Uh, I want to talk to you about what happened this week at Starbucks. Apparently, there's no racism anymore. So <laughs> con- Whew, congratulations. And I need to find a new job, a new <laughs> set of jobs. I, I was looking uh, for information about what actually happened at these training sessions. And I found a couple of things. Um, first, this is what Starbucks said that they were going to do. They were going to address implicit bias, promote conscious inclusion, prevent discrimination, and ensure everyone inside a Starbucks feels safe and welcome. So that's their intention. (laughs) Then how come we weren't all invited? I know. (laughs) You're right. That is kind of a weird thing, isn't it? That everyone in there. Yeah. Um, And also, I like the the, uh, prevent discrimination. I'm Uh, I'm I'm not sure if that's a thing that you can do. No, it makes it sound like you're jumping in front of discrimination bullets or something. Like, are you yeah. like, like, it's the, yeah, no, that's, I don't think, I don't think, I think you have to start deeper than preventing discrimination. I think you want to sort of eliminate discrimination. Yeah, eliminate actions that are discriminatory. Uh, anyways, yeah. but then I, I did find uh, some interviews with people who actually underwent, underwent the training, makes it sound a little more ominous. Than it is. Yeah, it sounds a little, what's that movie where the eyeballs are peeled open yeah, and uh, there you go, Clockwork Orange. Yep. Yeah, it sounds. <laughs> and, and apparently, there was a video involved. It 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 starred Common. So again, congratulations. Okay. I guess we're done with racism. Yep. Uh, there was sharing among the employees. That sounds like it could have been useful. They apparently used the the phrase "color brave" rather than "color blind." Uh, oh, 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 my stomach. Oh. Which sounds hard. <sighs> sounds awkward, let's say. That's awkward. Yeah, is, is it good? Yeah. Um, the, the person who said they used this phrase said it was obvious they knew that the word, the phrase colorblind wasn't a good one. Mm-hmm. But color brave is also pretty bad. Well, the problem with color blind is the same thing. The same problem with color brave. We, the reason why color blind doesn't work is because we don't need to find words that soften the idea of racism. <laughs> so color brave doesn't sound any better. It's actually just can we just talk about racism? Can we just talk about can we just talk about racism and not being racist and those types of things? All those words went out of fashion because they just because re- people realized they were like getting in the way of the point. Yeah, I, we could do a whole sidebar on like all the different phrases that people use yeah. to describe Roseanne's tweet, which is just like all the different workarounds <laughs> for racism. You know, well-meaning people do it too, right? Like, yeah. oh no, it's it's actually the well-meaning people who are way worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, so further, apparently, it focused almost entirely on discrimination of uh, black people. Yep, that's that's the problem with people who grew up in the 90s. Like, and I'm one of those people when it's like when racism was just up until the 90s, racism was just black versus white. Yeah. Up until up until the aughts, I would say. Yeah. Uh, until probably post 9-11 is when it when we were like, oh. Other races. Yes. Other 
Yeah. So uh, I think that, yeah, that's the problem is that it's the same thing. It happens whenever I'm in Alabama. It's like racism is always black and white. Like, whereas in the Bay Area, it's not just black and white. Well, they're pretty woke in the Bay Area, but also uh, not woke in very important ways. Um, their vocabulary, at least, is pretty woke. But OK, so just a little more about what happened. It was apparently very nonspecific. Some people were disappointed uh, about that. And here in Minneapolis, there was someone who pointed out that their store is, in fact, majority minority employees. And they got the exact same training that everyone else did, which I imagine was funny for them, maybe. Like, yeah. I can imagine at least they might have had fun mocking it. Uh, yeah, I, hope the, I hope the manager was also uh, not a white person, because if the manager's white and everybody else is a a black or brown person, then they had to sit there and take it and act like it was serious. But if the it's, managers, it sounded like it was, it was, it was a mostly black store. They, in fact, it, she said it's like a, in a section of uh, Minneapolis, that's um, uh, mostly Somali people, Somali oh, immigrants. Yeah. So I imagine that actually, I imagine, you know, the gallery. They could have just played Prince say. music all day. Yeah, well, <laughs> now the other one thing I will say is they, they have said they want, they plan on continuing training and uh, maybe addressing <laughs> <laughs> the discrimination against other kinds of minorities. So, so that's what happened. Um, you know, even before they did this training, there was already criticism uh, of it, and, and you had some yourself because uh, you've you've been through this. You, you actually went through mm-hmm. basically what happened to these gentlemen in Philadelphia, minus the getting arrested, which is horrifying. Oh yeah, no, but, the, yeah, the getting there was is way worse. Yeah, and you know, but I think. Mine was minus the threat of arrest because immediately my wife, who's white, was there to go. He's with me now. That now a lot of black people hear that and go, "What are you saying? We should all marry white women?" No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in my particular situation, not all black people think that way, but some black people too, and they reach out to me on Twitter. It's just the fact that my wife was able to sort of like, in the way that like I heard some mom got on a Southwest flight and had to prove that it was mm-hmm. her baby. My wife was able to prove that I was with her, and so that sort of. That sort of settled things down a little bit, but yeah, those but, guys got arrested. That's way worse. But you, so you had a, a you know a coffee shop try and kick you off the premises because you were standing there, and then also there was this attempt by the owner of that place to do some kind of training to address it somehow. So, so tell tell me what you think of just even the idea of like that being a solution. Well, I mean, I guess you know to say that it was an attempt, I think it's a kind of attempt that. Many people make on on June on January first to go this year. I'm going to work out, but then they don't do anything. That's the level of attempt he made <laughs> at uh, ending racism in his coffee shop. Okay, so yeah, I think that's that's and from that situation, I learned that there was a lot of talk and there was a lot of promises, and we had a community forum so that he would pl- he pledged in front of like 300 people in this Berkeley Middle School, Willard Middle School. Mike, his name is Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce pledged that he was going to end implicit bias in his re- in his coffee shop and then in the block and in the neighborhood and then Berkeley and then the universe. Mm-hmm. And he had a website that he encouraged people to go to. The website just said coming soon. And then eventually the website said nothing. And then when I called him out three and a half years later, the website got pulled down. So when Starbucks first said, we're going to do something about it, I was immediately suspicious was like, what are you going to do? Cause let's be clear. It's not exactly in their wheelhouse to end racism. It's in there. <laughs> no, they tried once before. Yeah. 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 And they've, they've already proven that. <laughs> yeah. That one didn't go so well, but this no. time they did, they did do something. They, yeah. They, they, they definitely brought in people. You need to bring in outsiders. They did bring in outsiders, but then it's like, you know, and I respect all the people they brought in. I want to be clear about that. But then what are those outsiders invited to do? What are you, what do you empower them to do? And when you sort of 
initially go, we're going to close our stores for the day. And and everybody went, you're going to end racism in eight hours? And then you find out later, no, not the whole day. Because <laughs> <laughs> our accountants got in touch with us and said that we make 60% of our profits from in before noon. So we're going to close after 2.30. You know, right. like when you do that, it's like, oh, it's not, you're not even giving it the whole day. And as I said before, even if you did it the whole day, all you're going to do is, a, is sort of point out some of the problems. You can't mm-hmm. even get to the solutions. And also because just like you said in that one coffee shop in, in Minneapolis, you have to, everybody's not even on the same page. So you're not the training is not set up so that the, the black and brown people are like, yeah, I get it already. Give me the deep level training because I already know what the problems are. And then the, the white people in Starbucks who don't know what the problems are. It's like it's like a bad public school class. Like, you're, like, you're, you're letting the smart kids go and you're teaching the kids who who aren't going to graduate, you know? Yeah, I, I, I did some reading up on, on implicit bias training and this is going to shock you, uh, but apparently it's it's there's some problems with it. Um, and One that it's named implicit bias training. That's right. Uh, and it is most people involved in, with it, I think, would admit it's more about avoiding lawsuits than it is about raising consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is something done to appease HR directors uh, and perhaps boards of directors, but it has very little effect on actual interactions in the workplaces. And I was thinking about why this is, and there's some, you know, academics have theories. One of them is, I seems like a pretty good one to me, which is that it's not voluntary. It's yeah. it's something that you're you're forced to do and you're told like, and that doesn't work. I mean, I'm thinking that's a problem both for people who of color who are told they have to do it, like in this dumb example. Right. And also for white people who may need it, but being told you need it. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it puts people in a receptive mood. And it's also, I think the other problem is, is that it's not actually thorough. Right. Because if it's not voluntary, at least better be thorough. Because if it's thorough, then at some point in the middle of it, you go, I didn't want this, but it turns out this, I clearly need this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it can't be in the same way that like, there's some things that, that that I don't want to do, but when I understand how important they are, you go, oh, I better go ahead and do this. And so because they're doing it to avoid lawsuits or to avoid, it's, it's no different than like, I'm sure many of the dudes who are getting me too right now si- signed anti-sexual harassment forms. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing where it's like you can sign the form and and complete the steps. But if the thing isn't thorough and clear to you why it's going down and why it's in your best interest to act that way, then it's not going to take any effect, especially when it's like when they when else they're going. But the most important thing is that the lattes are at the right temperature. (laughs) Like, let's be clear. Let's be clear why we're here. Like, You know, know, the most important thing is that you actually clean the the cappuccino makers at the end of your shift. That's that's really why we're here. actually just thinking you just made me think of something which is it so i'm i'm actually i like starbucks you know as a person who no longer drinks alcoholic beverages like i i drink ton of coffee and it is nice to, it is nice to have a place i can go that i know that i'm going to get a certain standard of coffee okay mm-hmm. like that's what i'll say about starbucks yeah, it's, it's the McDonald's of coffee. McDonald's like, of coffee. It's like, it's like I, I don't like McDonald's unless I'm in an airport and I don't recognize the other restaurants around me. Then I'm like, yay, it, McDonald's. Yes, that is it's pretty much how I feel about Starbucks. But I also you know, know a little bit about the corporate culture. And damn it, they seem to put a lot of energy into their corporate culture, right? Like they want people who care about coffee to work there. They, they, that is like a part of, of who Starbucks is, is that you have these like 
and I'll say, I think in general, like the Starbucks I go to, like, I think they do a pretty good job of like inculcating like a, a culture of customer service. That's how they should treat, you know, white supremacy and racism, right? Mm-hmm. Like it should be mm-hmm. just, they wouldn't do a one day training about how to be a barista and then never say anything again. <laughs> yeah. Then never check in with you again about how it's going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they introduce new fucking drinks like every two days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, try to keep people fresh. Right. And on top of that, they also give like, cause I, I almost worked at Starbucks. I mean, I was hired by Starbucks back in the day when I was working day jobs and I decided that I didn't want to work those hours, but they also do a thing back then where it's like if you invent a new thing, a new drink, or if you come up with some new product, they give you a bonus for that. Is there an anti-racism bonus? <laughs> Is there like a like they clearly like they actually make it a part of your it helps you out financially if you are a good Starbucks employee. And if you're if you do if you innovate as a as a coffee, as a barista, are they doing that for the racism? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think this gets to sort of the general point, which is this ha- that can't be a one time time thing. It has to be something that, that goes throughout your culture and that people talk about all the time. And it turns out like that the experts who review companies attempts to to have more, you know, minority representation in executive uh, uh, offices and whatnot. They say that the way that you actually affect people's um, implicit bias as measured on, there are these tests that you can give people that um, involve showing like quickly pictures of images, like pictures of people. And then you have to kind of, have a good or bad feeling about it. It's actually, it's not just like an easy question. Like, do you like black people or not? It's a little bit more yeah. complicated than that. And what has a real effect on that? And in fact, what has a real effect on the presence of minorities and women in uh, management is recruiting. Uh, and having, you know, integrated, having an integrated management will lead to more integration. So, yes. I mean, I guess it's just seeing the same thing, which is that if like, for instance, one of the problems is that they have apparently have this store in Minneapolis that's like mostly black people. That's not a problem that's mostly black people, but they should do better about having more stores that have more people of color. Well, I mean, it's it's no different than what happened with uh, ABC recently is like there's all this sort of like sh- ABC shouldn't have gotten into bed with Roseanne Barr in the first place, which I agree with. Or I should, they at least should have been prepared for the consequences. But I definitely think the reason why they got leapt out of that bed quickly is because the woman who's in charge of ABC is a black woman. Yeah. And so she was like, that's, that's actually my line. <laughs> like that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's enough. We're done. I don't care about the ratings. And so for me, it's like the same in the entertainment industry. Like I always say this to when I talk to, students or people who want to get into show is like the power is not on camera the power is behind the camera same with starbucks the power is not in being a barista the power is in being some sort of high the, the high level executives who make the decisions about baristas so if you invite those people in like brian stevenson or the woman or the woman from the naacp but i mean give them full-time jobs or give yeah. them full-time consulting jobs where they actually have power where they can actually vote they can actually contribute to decision making not just on that day but generally, and also make your other make the other people in your company. I mean, like Uber recently, I saw they hired a guy who's a man of color. And I'm like, because of all the bad press they got, they were like, yeah, we need to really demonstrate to people that we're changing things around. They also hired a black woman because they're like, we need to demonstrate to people that we're changing things around. But it's also not just about those individuals. It's about lots of people. Yeah, it's about it, it's about doing rather than saying, 
basically. Yeah. I mean, like, this is not news to anyone. The problem is, is that this means taking power out of the hands of white men. And that's where this usually falls apart. Because <laughs> is that is that white men, on no matter what their political affiliation is, tend to not want to lose any of the power they have or don't even want the perception that they're losing power. So it like I, I saw Howard Schultz on CNN and he talked a lot of the talk. But the thing he was afraid to say when he was asked directly was like, was it racism when those guys got kicked out? He wouldn't he didn't he wouldn't even take the question on as a question. He sort of went he took a, went down a whole other route, which is why he's a CEO, because they know how to do stuff like that. But, <laughs> you know, like to me, it was just like you can't even answer that question. Whereas like if it had been a black woman who was a CEO or a black man or a person of color, they would have been able to. Yeah, that was racist. And we shouldn't do that again. But he wouldn't in that moment. Maybe he said it other times, but he wouldn't take that on because he didn't want to lose power in that moment. I also think it's interesting you know, when I was reading to you what Starbucks uh, wanted to, to do with these sessions, make everyone feel safe and welcome. And you pointed out that we all weren't invited. I mean, that's the other part of the training equation that, uh, you know, didn't get addressed today was that it's not just about being a barista there or being a manager there. There are other there's this whole other side of, you know, the the transaction. It's yeah, the, I mean. I think that the, the somebody said they should have live streamed it, and I agree with that. Somebody said they should, yeah, they should have made the training immediately available to all companies, corporations in America for free. There's all sorts of things they could have done because the problem isn't that racism happens in Starbucks. The problem is that racism happens in America, and Starbucks is in America. And if they want to end racism in their stores, they actually have to work on ending racism in America. Like they can't. It's, it's not just like <laughs> making Starbucks a racism free zone. It sort of makes racism like the like those uh, factories that say we've gone a hundred days without an without a fatal injury. It's you know it's like racism's not just happening in that store. Like it like those injuries are just happening in the Ford factory. It's happening in America. And so I think that even the conception of it is like we're just trying to protect ourselves and. And I think that that we're at a point in history where black and brown people, specifically because we're in the Trump era, are like enough of the talk about these things. And I am a person who advocates talking, but enough about the talk. You got to you got to you got to be about it. And there's just a feeling that this, despite the very qualified people they invited in, that they're not actually being about it. Like even the closing at two (laughs) thirty. What a sacrifice. Because yeah. um, whatever money they lost, they gained back in like free advertising. Yeah. I, 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 the part about the customers that I wanted to get at was I, I really appreciated that one of the conversations that got started out of the event in Philadelphia was a lot of people of color uh, unloading about what it's like you know, to be a person of color in a white space. And how that changes behavior and how that impacts your psyche. And I I probably said this several times on this show before, but I'm probably worth saying again, which is that I feel like I've always I've been a pretty well-intentioned white person for most of my life. And yet it still takes me aback every time I I I read about a first-person account of like the intimate ways that one's um that who one is is impacted by like being in a white space mm-hmm. like the physical changes that you have to make like a friend of mine was telling me like he he makes himself smaller mm-hmm. in in white spaces like he's a he's a kind of a big guy so he just he kind of like hunches over a little bit you know no i mean I've, i wrote about that uh right around the time of ferguson 
I wrote a piece for Vanity Fair, and I talk about the fact I'm 6'4", 200, and, well, now 260 pounds because it's been a, you know, baby, <laughs> baby weight. But uh, people who've known me for years, if they don't see me for a few months, uh, will go, I forgot how tall you were because I actively don't stand at my full 6'4 height all the time. And I didn't know I was doing that, but I do know that I try to be, I'm aware of my impact on the world, and I'm aware of trying to be, create a, less intimidating vibe, even though I'm not an intimidating person. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not, despite my, despite my size being connected with being intimidating, I'm not an intimidating person, but I'm aware that like, I have to sort of make sure that the world knows that, that, you know, that, that I have to, for my own self-protection really more than anything else, that I'm not, that I'm not out to intimidate you. And when we got, when I got asked to leave that coffee shop, my wife went back to sort of not yell at, but, but, you know, read for filth, the woman who had told me to leave and I wanted to go up with her because I mostly because I wanted to hear what my, what's my wife going to say. Like <laughs> she's got a grad school education, she's got all the words to make this woman feel bad. But I also was like, if I stand over my wife and over this woman, that creates an impression that I don't want to leave, and that could end up with the cops being called. Yeah, that's the thing that I I I, I don't know if I I hope I I lose my astonishment at it or not. I, I guess it's just it's just my weightness talking that it's. It's not just about making yourself less intimidating because of it might avoid a conflict. It's because it's a it risks one's life. Like it's yeah, it's life and death. It's, it's I mean, life and you death. Know. Like if you you standing up straight is a matter of life and death. And like I have a friend who says he doesn't wear hoodies anymore. Period. Like just doesn't. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to. I mean, now it's different. I used to joke that I didn't wear flip flops because I never knew if I needed to run. <laughs> like it was just like you know, uh, you know. There's because I was like, I need to be able to get mo- get it moving quickly as possible. And I and I would see white guys in flip flops and be like, white privilege. Now I say that as someone who's wearing flip flops right now because I feel flip flops are dad gear for getting out of the house and getting your kids out of the house quickly. There but, you go. And also racism is over, right? So oh yeah, racism for everyone. Over. But I do think I would say as far as I I, I encourage you to figure out a way to lose your astonishment because for me. Astonishment is no different than pausing in a in a in an emergency situation. You got to be wait. You you got to be ready to get in quickly. Like the the thing that has happened over the last few months is like if you think back like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, or let's say twenty years ago, bad things happened. Cops would would horrible things would happen and racism, whether it was cops or average citizens, and people we would just all just look at them from across the street and walk by. Then camera phones are invented. Okay, now we're filming it, but we keep walking by. Well, now the Starbucks situation, somebody films it, people start sort of speaking and somebody's like immediately uploads the footage to to the Internet so people can see it and react in real time. And I think that we all have to get more involved. Yeah. And I I, I also don't want my uh, whatever my reaction is to keep me from acting. And I I guess I keep underscoring it just because it just it just kind of just I I have to face a new every day because it's not my life that this is something that is the life of a lot of people that I care about that this is a life or death issue you know they, those people could have been hurt at the Starbucks in Philadelphia because the police got involved but I do want to point out that the person that uploaded the film did more than upload the film in fact the people in that Starbucks said things something to the cops there were white yes. people in that room who who did something and that's you know worth pointing out I mean, and I hope that continues to happen. I mean, that's the only way that's what starts to change things. Well, I mean, we had a situation here in Oakland a couple weeks ago 
that has been dubbed the Barbecue Becky situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> where a white woman or a white-skinned woman, we don't know her ethnicity exactly, but certainly a fair-skinned fair woman, woman uh, called the cops because she saw black dudes barbecuing in the park, in uh, barbecuing at the lake in Oakland, which is like, where else are you going to barbecue as if not at the <laughs> lake on a beautiful day? Uh, and she said they were in the wrong area, but people got it. People started yelling and confronting her, I'll say, and got on their phone and filmed things. And to the point where she got like chased away from the park and the cops sort of came for her, <laughs> like, you know, not for these two black men. And I feel like if that had been a year ago or two years ago, maybe people would have kept walking. Maybe they would have filmed it, but the, she would have called the cops. The cops would have come. Those dudes would have got arrested like the dudes in Philadelphia. They maybe would have gotten released hours later, like those guys in Philadelphia, but still you had to spend hours in jail. Or maybe one of them's got a warrant for like a broken taillight. And then suddenly it turns into a big thing. Then that dude's not getting out of jail for months, you know, or, you know, or years if something happens. So it, it, to me about the barbecue Becky situation is that people, prevented that from that ending up with those two black men being in jail, you know, because they got involved. And I think we all have to get more involved in the way those people in Starbucks did, because we can't trust that it's just going to work out. Black Tux is the easy way to rent suits and tuxedos online. If you're a person that doesn't wear dresses, but instead wears suits, you might be looking at all the options that people who wear dresses and skirts have to rent online. There is like a ton of them. I use those services. But if you're a tux or suit wearing person, maybe you don't know. Black tux. If you haven't checked out black tux in a while, you have missed a lot. They've got new complete looks and suit essentials for all your upcoming spring events and weddings. Black Tux makes stepping up your style for a wedding or special event easier than ever before so you can make sure to look as great as your date. Now they have stylist-selected outfits and also the option to build a custom look. They have lots of new suits and tuxedos to choose from for all those big events and you know they are there. There are graduations, there are uh, rehearsal dinners, there are uh, weddings, lots and lots of weddings. Uh, And you know, I never realized this, but apparently some guys want to change up their look every once in a while. I've always been jealous of the fact that you can wear the same tux to everything, but black tux allows you to do a little something different every time. And it's not expensive to do so. You don't have to have a whole wardrobe of suits. And black tux has a free home try on that lets you see the fit and the quality of your suit months before the event. Now, As with the other rental outfits, your suit will arrive before the event. They actually have it arrive even earlier than a lot of the dress rental places. It'll arrive 14 days before the event. And then the returns are simple. You wear it, you turn heads, and then you send it back three days after the event. Shipping is free both ways. So you can stand out at your event for all the right reasons with Black Tux. To get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash friends. That's theblacktux.com slash friends for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut 
I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, it's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiancé of Stephon Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. I'd like to be at a training for how to uh, appropriately insert yourself into a like person being racist situation. And I, well, the thing is, those those types of things do exist. It's just Starbucks has to call those people. When I first saw the list of people that Starbucks had invited, I was totally fine with those people. But I'm like, where are the young activists who were like on the ground in Ferguson? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where are the where where's Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors and uh and from from Black Lives Matter? You know, where where are those where are the million hoodies people? Where like where are the people who are actually in the streets doing the work who are not going to care? If Starbucks hires them back <laughs> or if not, aren't going to care about how it comes off, we're just going to deliver the message. There are people who can do that training. Uh, there's the anti-police terror project here in the Bay Area, which is about like per, about police terror. And for me, it's like those are the people who could go in there and they certainly even if you go in there and you don't want to be there, they're going to be thorough with you and you're going to walk out feeling something because they're not going to let you walk out and be un- and let, let you be bored. And I feel like that when I saw the list of people, I think I was like, that's fine. But where's the young? The reason why we're talking about racism so much in America right now is because of young black activists of color, black activists who are on the streets, on social media, who are signal blasting this work and who are who can talk the talk and aren't afraid of what. But what if the CEO of Starbucks doesn't hire me again? You know, they actually care more about justice than they care about capitalism. Yeah, we should be real clear. Um, I have a Trump supporter in my life. Um, who I care about. But one of the things he says a lot to me is, aren't race relations worse now than they've ever been? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, people who who didn't, who fell asleep in history class. Yeah, and I take a deep breath and I say, well, there was a civil war. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, well... I mean, just recently. And I'm like, <laughs> you mean like the last two weeks? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> two well, weeks ago, they were better than this. I'm like, I think what you're saying is like the metaphor I use with him, which he does not like, but I, I'm like, you know, we have been in an abusive relationship with each other in this country, like people of color and white people. And mm-hmm. it's just now that we know it. It's just now that the people, the white people are realizing it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so different is our like, is sexual assault worse than it's ever been in this country because of the Me Too movement? Exactly. (laughs) It's it's like, no, it's like you're just hearing about it more. The thing I will say about race relations is that our president, Donald J. Trump, is it his behavior encourages people to be more openly racist like Roseanne Barr. And so there is a different tenor to it than like, you know, like the, the white guy, the white lawyer in New York who went around 
uh, the restaurant yelling at all the employees for speaking Spanish maybe wouldn't have access to those feelings if President Trump wasn't in office. But those feelings still would have existed. He wouldn't have had access to that voice in that moment. But those feelings would have still existed inside of him. I want to touch a little bit about how white people are thinking about this moment, because I saw an interview you did about your new season. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Where someone said, do you regret talking to Richard Spencer? And you don't. And (laughs) it's funny. I think I regret it less and less every day. I think every time somebody asks me that question, I start to I regret it less and less. And more power to you, because I agree. (laughs) I think your answer is like, I wish we'd aired it quicker, you know, and I agree because that would have given more context. And yeah. But what I really zeroed in on in your response to that was that you're done talking to TV villains. Mm-hmm. And you're done giving kind of like the good clip that is you sitting down with someone who wants to kill you. Well, kill you is a strong. Oh, no, let's. <laughs> someone yeah. someone who, who someone who's who, who is who is an obvious enemy is what I call them. People who are, like right. you know, with James Bond villains. You want to you, you want to take away the opportunity. You're not going to give anyone the clip of you sitting down with someone who objects to your very existence. Mm-hmm. Especially if that person is not. Yeah. Like I. I uh, I'm, it might happen again because we'll make more seasons and things will ebb and flow. But I'm certainly not willing to do it with somebody who's not willing to have a conversation. But I also feel like that we did that at a specific moment in time. The moment in time has changed. Every day on TV, there's obvious there's obvious villains. One of, president obvious villain is one of them. And so for me, it's like if we're gonna do an episode about the sick community and and sick and sickism and their faith and their culture and and you know how they have been marginalized in this country, why do I need to find some Yahoo who doesn't like six? Like why do I, like, like we've already talked about how they're the victims of hate crimes. It just to me it feels like I'm just taking up valuable TV time from from another story that somebody else in their community could tell that would be amazing. Well, I feel really I really identify with this topic and, and you're thinking on this because when this show started out, the initial uh, art for it was like George Washington in a, in a pussy hat and George Washington in a MAGA hat talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's how pe- that was not my conception for the show, by the way. <laughs> but oh, <it> was- <laughs> graphic designers and marketing people. I understand like that's They're what the- they went for. I mean, that was like yeah. sort of right. But yeah. the concept of the show was has always been talking about difference, not just like having like two people from separate corners like come together. And the reviews there's like half of the reviews and iTunes. I've stopped reading them, but I swear I went. when I stopped reading oh, them, yeah. half of them were like, I'm disappointed she didn't follow through on this wonderful idea about having dialogue to bring us together. <laughs> mm. I and and I see like you know Van Jones had a, had a series where he was you, you know you know yeah. I like Van we're not going to shade on Van no, no no he I mean there was a lot of that and yes. Van was just another person who was doing it but he was an he was a more interesting person because yeah. a lot of it was journalists who he didn't care about at all so Van was is a compelling person so right I mean. I think I got to that place pretty early because when I talked to the Klan, nobody was talking about t- reaching across the aisle. And then, <laughs> and when I talked to Richard Spencer, despite how it aired, it was before he was popular. Right, so right. now that everybody's doing it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I felt actively this season like we can't just be repeating the thing. We can't be like doing the things we've done before because if we're going to make this show for 10 years or more, we have to be reinventing it regularly. So 
for me, it was like, it was clear, like, we're not doing that. And there was a couple of times where, like, we did an Arizona, we did an episode about border patrol in Arizona. And some, and one, but someone was like, what about Sheriff Joe R? Shut up. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not talking to Joe Arpaio so that we can have a, so that can be the clip that runs incessantly before the very nuanced episode about the border, about U.S.-Mexico border runs, you know? So we've talked about like that clip and like that the that is like good TV or whatever. But I guess what I'm curious about, I think there's a certain like white person fetishization of this idea that we could we get two people that disagree and we get them to talk. You know, yeah. like that's 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 what America's about. Like yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> there's a it, who's here's it's like who's the us who needs to talk and that's my question. Yeah. So for me. I think the us who needs to talk is those of us who are really on the same page, but are unaware of it because we don't know enough about each other. So I had no idea how close the Sikh religion would sort of overlay with the civil rights movement, like, and how close that the, the, the like social justice aspects of the Christianity, like the, of the black church would overlay with sick, with the Sikh religion, because I'd never had a conversation with them before. And I had no idea that like, the black people who go to HBCUs, who I sort of always were like, those are the super black, blackity black people <laughs> who would never want to talk to me, would be like, no, a lot of us are the black people like you who felt like we weren't black enough and we came to a place to sort of learn about our blackness. Oh, I didn't know we had so much in co-. Like, that's the us that needs to talk. I think that this sort of like, somebody just tweeted at me the other day, like, you should do an episode where you talk to Trump voters. And I was like, hey. I did an episode in Appalachia. <laughs> I did an episode <laughs> with the Klan. I've, I'm sure I've talked to. I did. We did an episode about Muslims where we talked to a Muslim imam who voted for Trump. I was like, I talked to a ton of Trump voters, but you just want me to talk to the Trump voters that you want me to talk to, yeah. and the way and you want it to and you want Trump to be the only conversation as opposed to like when I went to Appalachia, Trump's name didn't come up because we were talking about how do we get more jobs here. What do you do now that coal mining is gone? But people want the thing that like the sort of the the pretend conflict and I don't have any interest in it. And also, if we're really honest with it, those Trump voters who are the base of the base. And I'm not talking about people who voted for Trump who are like, I don't like Hillary or I always vote Republican. I'm talking people who are the 30%, still. Cur- yeah. yeah. The people who are still currently excited about him being president and think he's doing a great job. Those people are, for the most part, not worth talking to because they're not actually engaging in reality. Yeah. I mean, I'm not interested in them either. Like, I mean, I'm interested in them, I guess, in sort of a anthropological way. Yeah, but not in a, <laughs> But it's like if you if you're somebody who's in this country right now going Trump is really doing a great job and not getting credit for all the great things he's doing. We we barely speak the same language. Yeah, <laughs> we would need a translator. Like I just I don't I and I've started to. So I will certainly talk to someone who voted for Trump, but who's like, yeah, this isn't going how I thought, because that's the reality. Yeah, I think that I am more interested in figuring out how we relate to each other. Those people who maybe are still, yeah, who who voted for Trump but aren't Trump supporters. Like what that America looks like, like after in the, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I do think and hope there's going to be a post-Trump era. Well, just like for the same (laughs) reason, I get, I don't want to talk to somebody who's still legislating Hillary's popular vote thing either. <laughs> like, yeah. just, oh. like, like I, I can have the conversation with you about how, yeah, we need to get rid of the electoral college because the popular vote should be the way to go. But I don't want to actually be talking about how do we get hit, like re-legislating Hillary's version of that. You know, I feel like 
I would like, I think, you know, so I just feel like there's all these different discussions that I don't actually want to engage in on the left and the right. I want to, there's discussions of like, how do those of us who are on the right side of history actually come together as one group? That's the the discussion I want to have. I am fascinated by this question, especially when it comes to the never Trumpers, you know, like I have friends who are basically neocons, right? On, mm-hmm. on foreign affairs who now are, you know, fighting arm in arm against what they they also see as, you know, nascent fascism. But, but whoa, whoa, I hope we don't have to go through another Iraq war together. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how I mean, this is more like I'm just personally kind of torn. I am should say torn, but like because I feel like I'm happy to fight side by side with them for now. You know, yes. like their voices are helpful. Yeah. And also you see things like Bill Crystal admitting that, you know, uh, he he would have played the politics on Obamacare. Um, you get things like you get people like Max Boot talking about his white privilege, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel yeah. like there's interesting things happening. Well, I mean, there's there's you know, I feel like it's like now it's like almost it's like it's, since we have a reality show president, it's like a reality show discussions come in it's like alliances that are formed for the, for the, for yeah. the there's there's a bigger there's a bigger there's a bigger thing we have to deal with we can form an alliance now but eventually we're going to get back and talk about this and that happens i think black people are used to that you know <laughs> there are black people in the street marching arm in arm with each other who don't agree on tons of things but like for the bigger picture we need to come together in the streets right now you know because as much as people think there's there's a huge difference between black people who are still sort of like the children of the civil rights movement who are still around, like, you know, the, 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 there's many of those black people who like, who are still around and active, who are, who remember Dr. King and March with Dr. King, who are like black lives matters too far, but mm-hmm. we can all show up in the streets together. We need to show up in the streets. That is such a great point. Um, I, I'm embarrassed that I haven't thought of it before, but you're right. Yeah. Like black people are used to having uncomfortable alliances. Like that's yeah. that they, they, and they, you don't have to like undergo an, an implicit bias test. If you want to march on the streets for black lives matter, you know, no, I mean, you know, the funny thing, like people, we talk, we're talking about Dr. King, they like, he didn't emerge as being the number one as, as the, he's, he wasn't the natural like guy who was like, that's the guy who's going to save us because he, they were like, who's the best person to be the front man for this? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so there was like discuss discussions and negotiations and some people were like, but he's too young and I don't really know if I, but he's the best speaker. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, he was a negotiated leader who ended up li- living up to the negotiations and sort of surpassing expectations. But, like, I talked to a guy in our HBCU episode of United Shades of America who remembers Dr. King at Morehouse and was like, I mean, he was a, nat- he was a snappy dresser, but nobody thought all that was going to happen. I find a lot. That gives me a lot of hope, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I just feel like we can't. We Like, this is we uh, we put too much magic in the past <laughs> like, yeah. and too much like and too much uh, and too many problems in the present. Like, no, let's actually these things have to be negotiated sometimes and these things have to be sort of like calculated and. And, you know, I mean, I'm if I wasn't actually on this planet, I would be following the whole who the Democrats are going to run for president next in a really sort of fascinating, like like sort of Game of Thrones way, because they have to figure it out. But are they smart enough to negotiate that end? Or are they going to do the thing where they go, it's your turn? <sighs> <laughs> I'm 
Whose you know, turn is it? I think Joe Biden gets another turn because he took he he took a pass on his turn last time. Yeah, he gave <laughs> like up the turn, show. so he gets two turns now. Yeah, he 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 skipped a turn. It's like Wheel of Fortune. He had to skip a turn, so it says turn next again. You yeah. Know, so, but are you actually smart enough to sort of go, okay, let's look at this on a big who out here can do it, and let's negotiate all aligning behind that person. Yeah, that's an, I I I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no, it's going to be a shit show. <laughs> or, you know, somebody we don't realize is great is going to turn out to be great. I mean, you know. Well, that's what Obama yeah, was. Exactly. It was like, that's yeah, what, exactly. That's exactly what Obama also say. Obama had that belief in himself before anybody else had that belief in him. So we're basically asking for Haley's Comet to come twice within 76 years. Yeah, that seems that seems unlikely. Um, <laughs> it's just like, so I feel like, whereas I feel like the thing that I've been comparing it to is like, Back in the 80s, the NBA just went to Africa and looked for tall dudes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> like they were just like, okay, we've run out all of the tall dudes in America. You know who has a lot of tall black dudes? Africa. And that's how you got like some of the greatest players the NBA's ever seen because they just went and recruited from like, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon and Manute Bowl and Okay, I was Patrick wondering was a- where the analogy was headed and you're just saying that, that the Democratic Party needs to recruit because I was like, okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> going to try to figure this one out. Okay. No, the analogy time. is that you actually have to go out there and do active recruiting right. and active beating of the bushes and right. go, hey, that comptroller has a really good jump shot. Maybe we can turn him into a congressman. You know right. what I mean? Like, you know, or con- or that congress, that co- or a congresswoman, let me For say. For what it's worth, I actually think there's something, I mean, I don't know my sports history well enough to be able to cite a, an a analogy for this, but what I think is happening is people are like, what, that guy can play? I can play. Like, Yeah, and that, you know, but I think you have to still, to be to get into big time electoral politics, you have to have somebody who, when, who actually, you know, it's like, you can be there's been many to sort of to ride my NBA analogy for more than it's worth. But there's many great basketball players who couldn't who no team took a shot on them. Yep. Yeah. You know, so it's like you got to actually get in. The, you got to get in to, to quote Hamilton for the last time in my life because I quote it too much. The room where it happens. Like you got to yeah. actually be in the place where the stuff is happening or else you're just, you know, a, uh, somebody with a good voice and, and who has good teeth. But also, I, I mean, I'm going to emphasize that because I know the, the cricket audience, sometimes we have some young people listening and that everyone who th- thinks they possibly can run for office should give it a shot. Like, I, I think that that's it's open tryouts. You know, I think the Democratic <laughs> Party. Ha- well, yeah, they, yeah, it should yeah. be. I'm totally serious. Is that like they create you know, run for school board, you know, run yeah, for city council. No, like, absolutely. if you have an idea and you have a, if you want to get something done, like, just go ahead and run. You know, like I, I agree maybe you. I you'll never the, do anything else. Maybe yeah. you'll only serve on city council. But you can make a bigger difference in your community on city council than you can as a congressperson, you know. So so I think that, like, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I just think that if the Democrats aren't showing up in the back of city council meetings across this country with clipboards and stopwatches, like, sort yeah. of going like, you know, sort of going like, oh, that was faster than I've ever seen anybody give a stump speech, you know, <laughs> that then it's like then you're just going to have a bunch of incredible city council people, you know, which is great. It's it's better than what we have now. I mean, it's like, better than what we have now. So but I think that, like, you know, it, it's about yeah, it's about it's about really recognizing what the problem is and being able to actually actively work on it and realize that some of it's going to be negotiated. It's not just going to be like the, the, the halo of the next leader isn't just going to land on somebody. Yeah. No thing for that. That would make it easy. 
Um, And that's not, I mean, they have a little saying, you know, God will do for me what I cannot do for myself, but he won't do for me what I can do for myself. (laughs) Uh, There you go. That's a good one. Thank you. And that's how it works in politics too. Um, Well, this has been great. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, for joining me. I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm looking forward. I I think that you have friend of the show, Alice Wong on your show. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. She was on our show about uh, the disability community. Yeah, no, she was great. And she's also, I've just, she's one of my, like, I realized, I know she's more than just a friend. She's one of my mentors specifically around those issues. Like she will call me out. She'll reach out to me. She'll tell me what to read. Like, I just feel like, and I'm like, yep, Alice. Sure. Yep. 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 She's uh, she's a, a really great person. Um, and, and that's an example of somebody who's like a natural leader. Yes. But what do we define the qualities of a leader as? And are we and I as we are both, we're basically defining them too narrowly. Yeah. Except that except we both recognize that in Alice. Right. That yeah, we know. But I think it, we, they, we need there needs to be. Well, basically what this comes down to, there needs to be more of us in the world. I mean, I think that's <laughs> well, I won't argue with you there. Um, Thank you so much for being on. I'm I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks for having me. No matter who you are, brushing your teeth is one of the most important parts of your day to stay healthy. And Quip knows that. Their team of dentists and designers is focused on helping you take care of your mouth better. For starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. There's a built-in timer to help you clean, to move from place to place on your mouth, and you will brush for the dentist-recommended two minutes with those guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Again, those would be helpful in all areas of life, would they not? Guiding pulses to know when to switch sides. I made a joke about parties uh, last time, and maybe I'll make it again. It would be a useful thing for some Republicans out there, those guiding pulses. Anyway, next, Quip subscription plans are for your health, not just your convenience. They deliver a new brush head on the dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel wherever you take your teeth. And finally, everyone loves Quip. They were on Oprah's O-List and named one of Time's Best Inventions, and it is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Plus, they are backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists, and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash friends right now, you will get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. John Lovett, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Anna. We're going to listen to the question. Here it is. Hi, Anna. I love the podcast and just wanted to share a general comment question with you, just because I have the feeling you'll understand my point. We're living in a time when good people are trying hard not to speak or act in ways that are racist, anti-LGBTQ, misogynist, ableist, etc. So why in the world is it still open season on older people? It absolutely amazes me now that I'm paying attention. It literally seems to be a free-for-all. It's 100% acceptable even for woke people to ridicule and insult older people. I'm seeing examples of this all the time. One of those examples was from John Lovett, who I adore. A comment about the Zuckerberg hearings and how all of these Congress people are so old and thus obviously know nothing about technology. That idea is pretty funny to me. I'm 61 and have been a coder for decades. And many of the smart, experienced people I work with are over 60. 
We know exactly how to use technology, like our contemporaries Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, etc. And that includes using social media well, which frankly isn't very difficult. I also know lots of non-tech professional older people who just stumbled fearlessly into using technology and have a great time with it. In my experience, these are typical older people. And guess who generally appears pretty hapless and bad with technology? Many young people who seem to know absolutely nothing except for how to use social media on a smartphone. Faced with a laptop or the idea of communicating with more than emojis or something other than a pic, many are comically helpless. Though I wouldn't make a crude insulting joke about it. Those Congress people don't know anything about social media because of their own personalities and priorities. Not because when you get your first gray hair, you somehow are unable to comprehend posting and liking things. It's bullshit at the level of asserting that women are weak-minded and over-emotional, or any other gross unwoke stereotype. It's extremely unwoke. Why is it so common? Of all the things that could be said about Bernie Sanders, why is it always lame jokes about his chronological age? How is this okay? So, John, Mm -hmm. do you have anything to say in your defense? I wouldn't even say it's in my defense. It's just something... Yes, I suppose I do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You can just cop to it, too. You can just say, like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. It's tough. We don't think about age in the same way we think about other identities. So I would say that it is wrong to say, to dismiss a whole generation as not knowing technology. I do think it's fair to note that... Uh, a bunch of septuagenarian senators did a terrible job of asking questions about technology that it was that was invented uh, late in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> and while there are many baby boomers and older people who are incredibly adept at technology, and many young people who are, you know, luddites trying to break the Gutenberg press, you know, because of what it's up to, right? With its easily movable type movable type (laughs) um i guess i'd say it's a fair concern and i'm glad you raised it it is true that it's more acceptable to mock older people as a group it's also acceptable like okay so i'm gen x squarely uh gen x you are i'm i am millennial first wave i'm Right. And it's I'm the like millennial, a, see, you know, I was about to say, so in the millennial second wave, those are the ones that I used to feel really safe mocking myself. Right, 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 right. Like right. the lizard people, like generation. <laughs> and uh, with their avocado toast and their lack of mortgages. And I've come around being like, that was actually pretty not good of me to do. I think it's okay because... But comedy relies on generalization, so... Yes. Well, here's why I think it's okay. By definition, I mean, an entire generation can't be a, you know, it's not about punching up or punching down, right? When you, when you're making fun of a whole age cohort, I think it's a, like everybody can just sort of take a joke. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm just thinking a lot about it. I'm thinking about why I think it's okay. Well, I think also one of the things that maybe needs to happen then when we're talking about generations is a lot of the time, and I plead guilty, I just did this. A lot of the time we're talking about generations, we really are talking about white people in that generation. You know, that is I've been thinking about that, too. Like, I make fun of baby boomers a lot. And I I I joke about, you know, the baby boomers and, you know, the the World War Two generation. They built the highways. And, you know, what are you people up to? You know, you're just spending down our inheritance and, you know, getting Social Security and blah, blah, blah. Not knowing how to use the Internet, not knowing how to use the Internet. But it is true. It's it is tends to be like I'm I am mocking. I am more squarely mocking white baby boomers for 
uh, their generation's uh, greediness overall. And then and people of color who are millennials are not had, like, I think have some pretty good reasons to be nervous about mortgages. <laughs> oh, I reject outright. I reject outright the critic. I never... You're not, you never did, 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 did lizard people jokes like I did. No, I do not. I I I find the kind of look at these millennials. Uh, Jabuki Young White, who's a comedian who's been on Love and Leave It a couple of times. He has this funny, funny uh, 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 bit about how what's up with millennials and why aren't they buying more diamonds? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like they don't have any money. Uh, so I I cannot stand uh, criticisms of millennials and the younger generation because I believe that. Uh, we are we we as a group are being me. I'm older, but but the younger generation is being handed a mess, and a lot of the things they're criticized for are the natural way of handling being you know handed a bunch of it's like it's like why do these millennials have shit all over their hands? Like well, maybe you handed them a shit sandwich, yeah, 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 older I, nuts. I made a lot of more of those jokes. And I didn't actually make jokes about financial responsibility and avocado. I made avocado jokes, but I didn't make jokes about financial stability so much as I, I think I did a very lazy kind of humor about, you know, safe spaces and trigger warnings. And actually, I was working at MTV um, with Mukta. Hey, Mukta. (laughs) (laughs) And a bunch of young people um, who were, it's one of the most incredibly diverse workplaces I've ever been in. And kind of just listening for a change, which I'm not especially good at all the time if I don't have headphones on. And... I came to realize, like, these people that I was making fun of for being sensitive, that's good to be sensitive. <laughs> it's like, and that it's not about, like, overweening preciousness. It's about a concern for the feelings of others. And that's something that, you know, should be probably encouraged. Yeah, I mean, I definitely am also very dismissive of this idea that like oh you know the younger they're snowflakes and they're too sensitive and they're too coddled and trophy generation and all that i don't buy that uh i think a lot of the changes are good i think they're still built into our conversation about young people a lot of like a lot of stuff about masculinity about being tough about what you're supposed to endure, about what that endurance does to you with absolutely no evidence that it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, I got beat up when I was in high school. It's good. Why? What are you talking about? Uh, so I find that ridiculous. I also uh, think, yeah, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a racket, this, you know, PC culture police nonsense. But even if you think there's a legitimate problem going on with young people not being open to other points of view and you don't you can broaden it out beyond young people and you can say that actually in our, as our culture as a culture we're becoming less tolerant of diverse points of view i you know i i don't know if i agree with that but even if you do agree with it i think it is obvious that the threats to free speech are not kids on campus it's the government and corporations silencing the people who work for them and the ways in which people do not feel free on a day-to-day basis to speak their minds not because of what a college campus is going to do, but because what are their bosses are going to do. Right. And also structuring our education system so that we actually don't have a lot of college campuses where free speech debates are even happening. What we have is a lot of community colleges and a lot of for-profit colleges where they're not even, that's where most Americans get educated and they don't have these debates about free speech at all. 
Yeah. And I actually was going to say, to bring it back to ageism to older people, that I also used to make a lot of fun of of baby boomers. And I, I was a little punk rocker. I hated fucking hippies. But I think maybe I hated them or said I hated them or was or was snarky about them for the same reasons I was snarky about young people, which is that is this something about sensitivity <laughs> that is I react to. Yeah. Um, and maybe actually, again, like it's something that should be encouraged, if not actually, like even if I can't actually do it myself. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm here's the question is, is it like. Do I think I should stop making fun of baby boomers at shows? And I clearly think the answer is no. <laughs> I would like to keep doing it and plan on continuing to do it. I think the reasonable point, the reasonable point to make is don't don't uh, dismiss an entire generation. I think it is entirely about the just but actually because we did bring it up and I think you also admitted it. You are talking about white baby boomers. Yes, I think I'm predominantly talking about white baby boomers. However, I do think I'm still talking about a larger generational force when I talk about, uh, no, I mean, maybe that's all it is. Maybe I really am just talking about, that's <laughs> maybe that's the compromise. Yeah. I'm going to keep making fun of baby boomers. But I'm going to specify but, but that I'm they're specify white. But I'm going to specify that they're white as hell. <laughs> uh, but those are the people that left the mess. Those are the people, it's the, it's the, the bankers and the, you know, uh, mortgage industry and like, it is it is white baby boomers. It isn't. It, I guess I guess what it really is. It's um. It's politicians. They're it's, white. It's class. It's uh. Yeah. W- which does fall, especially the older you get, more neatly by along racial lines. But but what I am talking about is a is a uh, upper class of baby boomers that accrued a lot of wealth, put it into their houses, built policies to. Uh, make sure they stayed successful, make sure they got resources, make sure they got Social Security and Medicare while dooming the rest of us, including uh, poor baby boomers yep. and poor people of color and young people of all colors. So, wow, look at that. Look, we got somewhere. We got somewhere pretty cool. <laughs> now, I will say on the technology front, uh, I will say that I would like to make fun of older people of all races. Who can't use their phones. Can sure. we make that a compromise? Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. (laughs) Thank you, John. Thank you. And that is it for the show. If you have a question for With Friends Like These, you can write us at withfriendslikepod at gmail.com. Please send an audio version of the question if you can. If you can't, that's fine, too. Uh, We are looking for the intersection of politics and the personal. So questions about how relationships have affected your politics and how your politics have reflected your relationships are the kinds of things we want to know about. And, of course, any uncomfortable conversation that maybe you don't know how to have. That's, again, with friendslikepod at gmail.com. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of the show. That means you're a super fan and you know what I always ask. Please rate and review on iTunes if you can. If you can't, that is totally cool, too. Just keep listening because we'll be back next week. 
I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes.